What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the insurgent audio speakeasy for sapphics of color um, by me, Money, the uh, resident, you know, uh, member of Wakanda's gayberhood. Um, <laughs> and this episode, it's, you know, it's the end of the year. I'm, I'm post, you know, holiday break. Um, which is why the episode is like, uh, a week out, um, than when my usual schedule would be. And this is just going to be a fun episode because I'm fried y'all. It's the end of the year. Um, the full moon is coming and I'm just ready to, uh, sleep and chill (laughs) and do all the things, uh, indoor activities that the winter brings. So... I just uh, logged on to this mic to have fun with y'all at the end of the year and laugh and cackle about uh, sapphic of color shenanigans. So um, let's get into it. Oh, and like before I drop the before I drop the intro, though, somebody told me recently that Queer Walk is an OG black feminist podcast. They were talking about like all the podcasts of the BBB, um, like uh, Tea with Queen and Jay, In a Whole Uprising, Marsha's Plate, um, and Bag Ladies. So uh, for us to be the OGs of Black Feminist Podcasting, that uh, that inspired me that, uh, you know, to turn on the mic. Because I get really, I tell y'all this all the time, but I get like really critical of myself around the podcast. And I feel like my way out of that is, I don't know, one, hearing what it means to other people outside of myself, and two, remembering that this is my hobby. Like, I need to do things that are just for pleasure for myself, <laughs> that that don't have to be work or um, achievement-oriented, that I can just do something because I enjoy it. But, to yeah, for that person to give me that feedback, like, yo, no, y'all, like, y'all was out here... A woman is podcasting when nobody else was, you know? We kind of, like, started the wave, you know? So you got all the the intersectional podcasts now, but Queer Walk. <laughs> so that inspired me. And also, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with Spotify, but seeing the Spotify wrapped for Queer Walk um, saying that, you know, I created... 80% more content than other podcasts um, and that Queer Walk is in the top 10% of most shared podcasts globally, it just inspired me. I was like, oh shit, people are literally sending the links to episodes of Queer Walk to their friends. <laughs> and that's what I be asking y'all to do. So, you know. I just had to say that before I dropped the intro because that made me really happy. Thank y'all for ending my year um, in such a beautiful way, in such an affirming way. And let's drop the intro. All right. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light. I'm loving your soul. They hate you, replace you, taint you, but know that you go. Worldwide from every continent. I just want you to jiggle a little bit. Move them hips, feel
your sister make a fist Don't resist your temptation You're amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix We move by your vibration And that's love I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love You love Alright, so um, If y'all are listening to this as I'm recording, uh, watching me on the YouTube stream, that means you are a patron. And so I thank you so much for um, supporting Queer Walk in that way. You know, podcasting is not uh, free. So so having y'all's monetary support monthly really uh, makes this possible. If you would like to become a patron, to be able to hear this as I record unedited, head on over to uh, patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D. I have some suggested donations monthly, but you can give as much or as little as your pockets will allow. And if you're not into the monthly contribution, you can head on over to Cash App and hit me up one time for the one time, which is dollar sign queerwalkpod, P-O-D. Uh, and you can find Queer Walk the Podcast on all the things at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. Um, still on Tumblr where it all began at QueerWalk.com. Um, I know y'all Twitter people are running for the hills and coming back over to Tumblr. So if, if you are a Twitter person running to Tumblr, find Queer Walk over there at QueerWalk.com. And you can listen to Queer Walk wherever you like to get your podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, if you listen in there. Um, yeah, all the places. If you're looking for other ways to support Queer Walk, you can do so by loving us out loud. Rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, review the podcast. I haven't had a new review in a minute. So if you want to leave a review on Apple or um, any other platform that will allow you to leave a review, request a topic or a Queer Walk slash Queer Pock of the Week, repost the episodes, which y'all apparently do, <laughs> according to them Spotify analytics. So thank you for that. <laughs> and reply. Use the hashtag QueerWOC to talk all things the podcast. Um, and to send me, send me an email of your Curve Chronicle or um, anything that you would like to see me uh, ha- post, uh, talk about on the podcast over at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Or you can just send it to the DMs. Um, I'll be there. I'm most active on Instagram and Tumblr these days. But, you know, you can hit me in the DMs and I'll get there. It will get seen. Okay. <laughs> Right, y'all. I'm gonna move it on along to the queer walk, queer walk, queer walk of the week segment. And the queer walk of the week slash queer pock of the week segment is the segment where I shout out, highlight, celebrate, uplift some queer woman of color or queer person of color who is doing dope things, who has done dope things, who I think y'all should know about. Um, and today is no different. So today's Queer Walk of the Week is Shuri, daughter of <laughs> Queen Ramonda <laughs> and King T'Chaka. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I 
I am kidding, but okay, I'm kidding, but not. So uh, I I don't plan on doing any Black Panther spoilers. Um, if you want to hear uh, a, a spoiler free or spoiler light um, Black Panther kind of like talk back, I encourage y'all to head over to Tea with Queen and Jay's Patreon. They did a Patreon episode about um, a lot of things, but the second half of it was about um, Wakanda Forever, the new Black Panther movie. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I think y'all should head over there to their Patreon to listen to that. I solely want to talk about um, the sapphic fuckery that's been happening (laughs) since Wakanda Forever dropped. And that's it. So I don't plan on spoiling Wakanda Forever. I know a lot of important people to me who listen to this podcast who haven't seen it yet, so I don't want to spoil. But this is just Twitter mess and um, (laughs) internet mess that I think is really funny. So there's, I, I mean, there's, there's, I'm going to actually do a queer walk of the week for this episode, but I just wanted to talk some uh, shit first. So um, there is obviously queerness in the world of Wakanda. If you um, like read the, the different runs of Black Panther, the uh, I'm pretty sure it's called the world of Wakanda run. I have it downstairs. I should have bought it, but um, uh authored by Roxanne Gay, my fave, one of my fave writers. Um, We know that there's queerness in Wakanda. There's, you know, relationships between um, the Midnight Angels and uh, the Dora Milaje. Um, Yeah, it just, you know, free blackness, right? So, of course, uh, queerness is there. But... (laughs) I think that's not even what people have been excited about in seeing, like, you know, these interactions between the Dora Milaje since the uh, the movie dropped. So, the biggest, I feel like, thirst tweets <laughs> or thirst online that has come out of Wakanda Forever has been for uh, Namor. Uh, you know, the anti-hero because he's not a villain. Jeez, you guys. Like, the clear villain of both Black Panther and Wakanda Forever is colonization. How many times do they have to tell y'all that? (laughs) White supremacy is the the, um, villain. But we end up with these anti-heroes, you know, or antagonists, um, Namor and uh, Killmonger in both movies, right? So everybody was thirsting after Namor. However, semicolon, um, it seems like uh, black lesbians across the internet have been going up for uh, Daddy Panther, uh, Shuri, played by uh, Letitia Wright. There's been uh, a wave of, <laughs> of thirst <laughs> for, there's been a wave of thirst for that um, vibranium strap. So. <laughs> internet is a great place <laughs> that vibranium strap um and i've just i've just found this so uh funny you know i've i got so much pleasure from reading all these uh thirsty ass uh tweets and watching all the edits that the youth did on tiktok about <laughs> Letitia wright i just thought it was so funny 
Um, I have not seen us us as a, a black sapphic contingent um, uh, drool and thirst over someone like this in a really long time. I think the last time I saw something like this was when Ooh came out and Young and May was getting thirsted over, but not even to this extent. I don't even I don't know if it's because TikTok wasn't out back then or what. But damn, like, <laughs> we as a black sapphic contingent um, thirsted Letitia into making a TikTok. <laughs> that is funny to me. <laughs> and, you know, I have been thinking a lot about this, right? Because I think... uh Black folks outside of America, the United States, black folks outside of the United States, they don't necessarily come out. They just will like post a video with coffee as the the song choice, you know, <laughs> shout out to coffee. We know we see you. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, they'll just they'll just pay, post uh, a video, you know. For loving at a party, yeah. I know what nobody yeah. <laughs> Um, they will, you know, go to a Kehlani concert and post the, you know, like they signal, they they queer signal, and I think even before that was happening, because you know, Letitia just was posting about being a child of God, and you know, a lot of a lot of us queer folks are. A lot of us queer folks are childs of God, you know. <laughs> um, I'm my, I myself am not. I'm not a, a churchy queer. I didn't grow up in the church. I don't go to church. Um, just culturally Christian from being a black American. Um, but I think it's interesting that even when folks don't disclose, we can read the queerness. <laughs> we, we see it. <laughs> I just, I just. Um, think that there is a literacy there that I want to know more about. It's like, I've been talking a, a lot to uh, one of my friends here in Philly about femme as different than femininity and that femme is inherently queer. It feels like a a, a playing or a turning up on. Um, yeah, just like this aesthetic of femininity, you know, like, like dragging it. <laughs> and so it reads very queer, you know? And so try, I've been trying to think a lot about like those things as different and what femme as a queer gender presentation means and how it is different from being gender conforming as a woman, if that makes sense. If this sparks any ideas for you, please hit me up because I want to talk more about this. Because um, I think I did an episode a while ago where I was talking about, like, how you can tell if a femme is queer. You know, like, femme queer fashion. I think a lot about Sammy, Dr. Sammy, um, in this way. It's like, obviously, a, a femme presenting person, but not feminine. You know what I mean? Like, the, the um, glitter, the sequins... And then the Doc Martens, you know, <laughs> or the glitter Doc Martens, you know. And if y'all didn't know, Doc Martens are inherently queer. Like, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you are a cishet wearing Docs, you are queer baiting. <laughs> I'm kidding, y'all. I told y'all, I just wanted to um, 
be silly this episode. But yeah, I think, um, so I've been thinking a lot about that, right? So how, even when folks don't disclose, and I don't think people owe us their disclosure, right? Um, I was thinking about this listening to the last episode of Why Won't You Date Me with uh, Kiki Palmer and Nicole Byer, where they were just like, I don't use any terminology. I like who I like. You know, that's what it is. Whoever I fall for, that's who I fall for. Um, Some parts of me really feel like um, coming out is inherently queerphobic because, like, it, it assumes that you're cis or hetero until proven otherwise. And I just, I don't, I don't like that. But I also appreciate when people do express their queerness verbally so I can go up for them (laughs) so I can be all happy and celebrate but that has that has everything to do with me um feeling such a lack of like representation particularly particularly for dark-skinned queer folks um and wanting more of us to be able to like list as queer walk of the week on this podcast or to like go up for um, yeah, so while while I don't think people owe us their disclosure, I do think it is interesting that we can read queerness even when folks don't disclose. Um, because I think femme is something different than femininity. Femme is not the, you know, equivalent of woman under like patriarchy you know I think this I think there's something interesting happening there and I want to talk more about it (laughs) but um yeah and so I don't know if y'all see any of the zaddy panther memes if y'all see any of the like Letitia Wright thirst um out on the twitter streets or the internet streets please send it to me because I think they are all hilarious Uh, (laughs) um I think it is so funny that, um, I I think it's funny that black queer women came together and collectively were like, this is who it is. Um, I still, however, am, uh, thirsting over Lashana Lynch, um, Izoji from The Woman King. That is still my baby mother. So y'all can go ahead on over to Wakanda, um. I I will be with the Dahomey until further notice. <laughs> yeah, um, I was seeing, like, there are, like, rumors that Letitia is dating the model, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Eva. And I always think it's interesting when queers date their doppelgangers. You know, they just, they be in relationships with people who look like them, but in a different font. <laughs> I always think that's interesting when queers look just alike and they be in a relationship together. But um, I think we all saw the footage of Kehlani throwing that thing back on um, the Black Panther. So (laughs) Um, I'm just excited. I'm excited for all of it. I think it's a good gay time when uh, black women can joke and like express uh, sexuality. Um openly so I've been having a really good time uh, (laughs) with the Shuri jokes um and you know I know there's fan fiction out there about Riri Williams and Shuri send me that as well okay because what a time to be alive if that would if if we would get like a a Marvel what if where Shuri and Riri are like dating oh 
gosh. <laughs> Talk about epic. What? I thought they had a lot of chemistry on screen, but I don't need to see it in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I would enjoy it if it was fan fiction. So y'all can send me the Shuri Riri fanfic, okay? <laughs> All right. And in other news, in this Queer Rock of the Week segment, jokingly opening, um, is Wednesday Adams a Queer Rock of the Week? <laughs> I'm kidding, but I'm Cirrus, right? So it's like Wednesday Adams. Uh, have y'all seen Wednesday on Netflix, first of all? Again, I'm not going to spoil. I know a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who haven't seen it, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Y'all know I'm always down to do like a live chat or hangout about a show. So if y'all want to do one about um, Wednesday, let me know. I think it would be really fun. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's clearly... Uh, Latina, maybe a white Latina, white passing Latina. But what I found so interesting in watching Wednesday is like clearly all of the the romantic interest was forced, very forced, right? Like Wednesday ain't paying none of these dudes no attention. <laughs> she's not giving them no indication that she's interested at all. Um, only through like the male ego, do they think that she's interested in them, right? Um, I think that Wednesday could be a amazing representation of, like, asexuality or aromanticism or, like, the ace spectrum for us. And I was trying to think if I could, if I could think of any, um, like, teen or like young adult or coming of age ace spectrum representation um that was even remotely of color and I couldn't um if y'all know any I would definitely be interested in watching so please send it to me but I was like yes Wednesday you better hold the (laughs) better hold the aces down like (laughs) um just just let Wednesday be queer in that way you know just let Wednesday be ace um we, we don't need the forced romantic interaction with boys. Yuck. <laughs> All right, y'all. Um, I'm done clowning about um, Queer Rock of the Week. We can get into the actual Queer Rock of the Week for this episode. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so the Queer Rock of the Week. <laughs> Like I've been um, bullshitting for 20 minutes and now I'm getting to it. Okay. The Queer Walk of the Week this episode is actress, media critic, and comedian Marsha Warfield. So, uh, born in Chicago in 1954, Marsha is an elder lesbian uh, that we get to see in media. And at 68 years old, this is really rare. I was trying to think about how many older lesbians we get to see, like, in front of the screen in, like, Hollywood or, you know, Netflix or Hulu, whatever. And I was like, I don't even think I can name four, you know? Like, I think I got a good three. And, uh, I, and 
Marsha being one of them <laughs> and um, Wanda Sykes being the other that I could think of is like older lesbian in front of the screen. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was a big deal. I came to know about Marsha Warfield uh, from Standout. It was an LGBTQ celebration that Netflix did in June of this year. Um, but I know it, last year she was in a uh, Showtime stand-up special called Even More Funny Women of a Certain Age. And it's a comedy special for um, stand-up comedians over 50, I think. Um, and Marsha was one of the highlighted uh, comedians in that. She was amazing in both of them. When I saw her in Stand Out, I immediately followed her on everything. I cracked up laughing through her whole set. Uh, she has all of these jokes about, like, lesbian terminology, and she doesn't know what to call herself. And I just think, I don't know, I thought it was amazing. I also, in, in thinking about, you know, um, seeing ourselves reflected, I hear so much people talk about, like, learning about their queerness late, or coming out late, or being a late-in-life lesbian and all that stuff. I don't think that there's any timeline to define yourself for yourself. I think whenever you find language for what you're experiencing, that's just what it is. I think we live in a very youth-focused um, society, you know? Like, uh, I think once women are, like, 35, it's like they just kind of, like, disappear into thin air. Um, I think most of the the things that get shared on social media around queerness are very youth-focused. But we exist in all ages. <laughs> and so I think something that I really love about Marsha's work, too, is she, I think she says that she told the world <laughs> that she was queer when she was 60. You know? So it's like, there's no timeline on any of this. So name it. Don't name it. You know, just just be uh, out here in community and not, you know, perpetuating, you know, harmful systems that keep queer folks feeling like they have to hide who they are. But yes, you can be queer at any age. <laughs> we we too have elders. I hope to be a queer elder one day. Um, yeah. So a little bit more about Marsha. Marsha is best known for her um, role of the bailiff Roz Russell on the NBC sitcom Night Court, which ran from 1986 to 1992. And she was a performer on the Richard Pryor show. When she started doing stand-up comedy in the late 80s, she talked about how women comedians would get booked as, like, the opening acts for male comedians, and they would call them kind of like um, novelty acts the women comedians. And um, so she really kind of like laid this groundwork for women to be stand-up comics. Um, and now is a headliner herself after coming out of a long retirement. Um, so she's also appeared on shows like Soul Train, um, Arsenio Hall Show, The Tonight Show. And she even had a talk show of her own for a year uh, called The Marsha Warfield Show. Um, it started in 1990 and uh, ended in 1991. Um, I'm sure you could probably find clips of it somewhere online, but I was trying to look up and see if you could stream it anywhere, and I couldn't find it on anything. It was on NBC, so maybe Peacock. 
Who knows? Um, she opened for acts like Teddy Pendergrass on tour. <laughs> Come on, Teddy Pendergrass. And the OJs. Um, and she's also been nominated several times for NAACP Image Awards and Soul Train Awards. Um, yes. So a fixture in the black community, you know? <laughs> so Marsha has also guest appeared on... All of, all of our favorite 90s shows from Moesha, Living Single, In Living Color, Smart Guy. Y'all remember Smart Guy? Oh my gosh, it used to be my show. Clueless, Cheers, Saved by the Bell, and so many more. So, Marsha been everywhere. Um, and another thing about her, uh, she actually has the expansion committee at Ferris State University's Jim Crow Museum of racist memorabilia. So the I've seen one of these like a traveling museum of racist memorabilia. So essentially essentially what they do is they collect all of this like really problematic, really racist stuff from um generations past or even current generations like um some of the racist things that kind of go viral that we see that big brands have done. So museums like this collect those things and use them as like teachable moments, basically. Uh, They collect all these what they call artifacts of intolerance and um, design curriculums around them to teach people tolerance and acceptance of folks of color. Um, And so Marsha sits on, yeah, the expansion committee of this uh, Museum of Racist Memorabilia. She said it is on her bucket list to visit every African-American museum in the United States. Um, Yeah, and it's really near and dear to her that this museum continues to contextualize the horrific impact that Jim Crow actually had in the United States and for um, Ferris State University con- to continue to use this as a learning space for acceptance of folks of color. So, doing the work. Oh, also, very active on Twitter. I saw, uh, you know, speaking of all this uh, black sapphic shenanigans on on the interwebs, I saw some rumors that uh, Marsha Warfield was dating Lunell. And if any of y'all are familiar with uh, black comedians, y'all should know Lunell. Yeah, so I don't know. Keep your eye out for that. (laughs) For that, we might have another black lesbian power couple on our hands. Um, Marsha also has a TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but uh, she does these, like, um, media criticisms or, like, breakdowns in very hilarious ways. Of like how black women are being depicted, um, how basic white men are. Like <laughs> it's just really funny. So she's 68 in all the places doing all the things. So shout out to Marsha Warfield and check out her comedy specials that are streaming. So Standout is streaming on Netflix, and even more funny women of a certain age is streaming on Showtime. It's time for that black feminist healing. 
this that real shit that make believe come on money please help me get my shit together i listen to the moment when times get rough put on my headphones turn it all the way up who's gonna give you grounding tips there's nobody better oh money help me get my shit together All right, I'm going to move us on along to the mental moment with money segment. And the mental moment with money segment is where I, Dr. Money, licensed marriage and family therapist, um, uh, try to give us some mental health tips, tricks, um, hacks, grounding activities, uh, break down something related to mental health to make mental health more accessible and doable and hopefully improve our internal well-being. Well, y'all, I'm running on fumes these days. (laughs) So um, when I get to this space, when I feel really defeated as a therapist, when I am uh, really lacking the energy and stuff, music is always the thing that brings me back. I think y'all know how much I love music, how much it sustains me. I used to create playlists for the Patreons. Um, So, yeah, music is kind of my thing. I'm a music head. So I wanted to tell y'all the five queer artists that have been holding my mental health together. (laughs) My mental health is being held together by um, coffee and playlists these days. So... (laughs) And everybody is talking about music right now anyway, with like the end of the year wrapped stuff happening, um, the demand for the visuals to renaissance, you know, <laughs> I thought it, that was a good time to do a mental moment inspired by music. Um, yeah. So the five artists that have been holding my mental health together, I'm going to go through, I'm going to tell y'all a little bit about them. If I put you on. Shout me out and tell me I put you on, okay? Because I know I put a lot of people on to musical artists. And then they just be posting them and acting like (laughs) I wasn't the one who put you on. Okay? I put the whole city of Syracuse on to LMA. (laughs) And I I will not let that go, okay? (laughs) I was playing boot up. This DJ in Syracuse asked me what that song was. And then all of a sudden he was playing it every set. And then the whole city of Syracuse was playing boot up. I put LMA on in Syracuse, New York. <laughs> How many of y'all started listening to Baby Mother because of me? Right? <laughs> no, I'm I'm like totally joking. I love being the one who introduces folks to music. It's, it's one of my love languages, you know, like how I show I care. It's like, oh, I heard this song and, and thought about you. Or I think, oh, you like that person? I think you might also like this, you know? Being, being a human music algorithm is a way that I show care. <laughs> All right, so the first artist I want to talk to y'all about is Mars. Mars with two Zs out of Kentucky. Um... I, Mars killing me uh, softly, killing me slowly. KMS was my number one song on Spotify this year. It is just a little bop. Um, yeah, I love Mars. I love 
uh, her look. I love her sound. Um, yeah, just, you know, the Cardi with the braids, braid look. <laughs> the, the, um, and that mixed with like this Aaliyah tomboy aesthetic. I just think it's like so cool what she's doing with like her look and the sound. So, um, yeah, y'all need to check out Mars and I'm going to try to play a little bit. Yeah, so I didn't mean to pick like another churchy queer as, <laughs> as the first one after talking about Letitia Wright, but um, Mars is also like, yeah, from a, a lineage of um, black black women uh, in the church, and that's where they first started singing. Um, yeah, and kind of like stepped into the R&B lane. Um in their teens. And so I thought that was cool. I think a lot of times we talk about queerness as separate from, you know, like spirituality or religion. And so to have someone talk about growing up uh, Christian in in a religion and then also be doing very queer R&B. I just love it. Um, they're also really young. They have a colors. They have. I don't know if you call it a colors episode. You know those YouTube videos, colors? Yeah. Well, they have one for KMS, the song that I just played, Killing Me Softly, Slowly. Um, yeah. And Mars, my number one song, <laughs> KMS on um, Spotify. All right. So the next person I want to tell y'all about, my homie Dana actually put me on to. Every time I got into Dana's car, this person was playing. And I was like, who is this? Like, what is this song? It's now to the point where when I hear Orion's son, I just associate it with Dana. So <laughs> I always call it Dana car music. But um, the next person is Orion's son. And I'm pretty sure they're out of Philly, Jersey, Philly. I, I feel like Jersey and Philly have a lot of like overlap or transmission of culture um but yeah a lot of I think a lot of people know um Orion's son's uh Dirty Dancer I think everybody kind of knows that that one the I'm a dirty dancer for me I can put my pants up I just want to be the way you want um so I think that I love that song too but my favorite is Concrete. Oh my gosh, that song. Baby, go slow while you riding me. Ah! I'm like, this, we deserve, okay? It's been too long <laughs> that we haven't had, you know, queer singers where we don't, uh, we don't have to switch the, um, what do you call it? 
the pronouns or that it's pronoun lists, you know, whatever. So I'm just like, yes, give us all the nasty R&B for queers, okay? <laughs> I think that Orion is definitely um, a child of Sid. And I mean that in a, a very respectful way. I'm not, you know, not in this like, all these bitches is Sid's son way. <laughs> I mean it like they have very... Very similar, um, you know, that like airy, uh, angelic, melodic voice. They do all their own beats, writing, production, you know. Um, But yeah, I think Sid still doesn't get the flowers she deserves. I think if Sid was not masculine presenting, people would be going up for her the way they go up for Kehlani. Um, Yeah, so whenever I think about this new... Uh, the new or the younger era of R&B queers who have, like, these kind of angelic voices, who write their own stuff, who um, produce their own stuff, play instruments, all that stuff. I'm like, yes, Sid, look at that. I know, I know. <laughs> Y'all know I followed Sid around the, the country for years as an internet fan and also as a, a fan of Finn. Um her first solo album. So I'm always going to give Sid her things. I really think Orion is of that uh, lineage. Um, The sound, the look, uh, everything. Um, Holding it down out here for black lesbians. So yeah, love Orion's son. Check her out. I think she also has a colors. Um, She definitely has visuals. So um, the visual for uh, Dirty Dancer is beautiful. Oh my gosh, just moving. So <laughs> go check that out. All right, third on the list of queer artists that are holding my mental health together is Carla Parata. Carla, Carla, Carla. I think y'all are starting to see a theme that I have a thing for the um, soft boys. Like <laughs> the soft masculinity or the hard femmes, you know. Um, I have a thing for it. Uh, it's just like... That fluidity, the in-betweenness, I love it. Carla's also a Virgo, a September Virgo. So shout out Virgo gang. Uh, (laughs) I feel like most of the artists I listen to are Virgos. And I didn't mean to do that. It just kind of happened, you know? That's the music that I'm drawn to, you know? (laughs) Um, Carla's out of London, I believe is is like Afro-Brazilian. I think has like has Brazilian roots. Um, but I've heard them sing in Spanish, in Portuguese, and in English. Rap in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. So, um, you know, if you want to get me, that's, (laughs) that's a way to do it. Like, to effortlessly, seemingly effortlessly flow from, like, singing to rapping, from Spanish to English. It's just, like, it's amazing. Um, yeah, so Carla has quickly found their way onto a lot of my playlists this year. Um, a lot of the times when I'm like stretching or trying to be in my, uh, flexibility bag, I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to Carla. Uh, but one song that I really love is, um, a slower one called Time For Me. And so I'm going to play that.
yeah. So, um, I love the indie R&B sounds. Uh, I don't think this song is, like, indicative of Carla's, like, overall catalog. Most of their songs is, like, way more popping and high energy. I just love this one. Um, like I said, I really like when they flow between singing, rapping, languages. So, check out Carla Prata, y'all. Alright, number four. My queer artist that are holding my mental health together. I'm a Lou. So, I don't think I'm a Lou is, like, new to a lot of y'all. Um, out of London, drill, singer, rapper. <laughs> Definitely more, more of a singer. Um... And I think in a way that a, a lot of a lot of people are like, are they queer or are they just Gen Z? Um, Amalu is definitely in that camp. But I think when I think about queerness and why I put Amalu on this list is, um, I mean, she clear she clearly has queer visuals for her music, right? Like, so I'm thinking about the the video for Not Always. Um, her song, Not Always, which was actually um, directed by her sister. So come on, <laughs> sister magic coming through. Uh, but that in that video, uh, and, and like the song, I don't know. It's just, it felt very queer to me, right? So the video is like a, a side-by-side of her trying to be taken seriously as a masculine person and one of her friends trying to be taken seriously as a femme person, right? And um, I, yeah, it just felt like such a gender queer, gender non-conforming video of like, I, I might not always feel like a man. I might not always feel like a woman, but I'm always me, damn it, <laughs> you know? Fighting for respect. Uh, I love that visual. And then one of her video, one of her videos went viral on Twitter because people were kind of joking that she looks like she looks a lot like Zendaya, which I think they kind of do favor. <laughs> uh, it's so bizarre because you know how you never realize somebody looks like somebody until people point it out. That's kind of how I felt about Amalu and Zendaya because I had never in my mind correlated the two the two of them. But after Twitter was like. Oh, Zendaya's new song is a bop. It was actually Amalu. Um, but the video was Same Old Ways. And in the video, uh, Ama is going to an all-boys school. And she's, you know, trying to fit in at this all-boys school. Another very queer visual. So, y'all can fight me on this if you want. <laughs> I think Amalu is a queer artist. If nothing else, she's pushing the conversation about what masculinity and femininity even means to like show up as um in her visuals so to turn out second place please i'm blessed but hazy is deep so i know what you say you never gonna believe what i done if you want to over love on me it seems a little bit too fun but we don't mind so I, when I tell y'all Northside was on repeat for me for months, like I could not stop listening to that song because I know the Northside is looking out for me. Wanted to cry, but there's nothing that made me go in circles. I thought I was fucking finished. Got so high while I stopped fucking with it. <laughs> that was my song. Okay. 
Um, in the same way, same old ways is a bop. Um, so if you haven't checked out Amalu, go ahead and check them out. Okay. Another one that y'all might want to fight me on. <laughs> Last but not least, Ken the motherfucking man, bitch. <laughs> Ken the man. So, um, can I just say, in 2020, at the beginning of 2020, Ken the man's uh, mixtape for the 304 held me down <laughs> in early pandemic. Um, right now, I think... Most people might know Ken the Man from uh, two songs that kind of went uh, viral as sounds on TikTok. So the first one was, it be the booty for me. She a little cutie for me. She might not do it for you, look, but she finna do it for me. That was Ken the Man and um, OMB. Um, but the one that has everybody hype right now is not my... N-word. <laughs> Not my jigger. Um, yeah, that one is going up right now. I've I've seen so many videos um, of people, yeah, kind of walking in to that song. It has the beat of um, Baddest Bitch, uh, Trina's song. It's like a, a remix of that using the same beat. And so it's going up right now. So a lot of people are finding out about Ken the, the Man now. Um... As far as like queerness goes, yeah, she's just she's another one of those people who have said, I don't feel comfortable using any label. I like who I like, blah, blah, blah. For me, I feel like if you're out here including queer folks in your creations, if um you are like not actively doing <laughs> patriarchal or like heteronormative violence, you know, um Ken the Man has done interviews with like le other lesbian podcasts you know um i know dj xl had ken the man on a lot of her stuff so yeah i feel like ken the man is within queer community so <laughs> so even if she's not you know at the front of the pride parade like as a bisexual woman she <laughs> she she's obviously out here um like in community right so I claim her as one of the queer artists that uh, are keeping me together at this moment. If if y'all want to give me some information as to otherwise, just let me know. But Ken the Man makes bops. I mean, and her name is Ken the Man. Can we just stop there? Full stop? Like, <laughs> um, her stage name is Ken the Man. But um, yeah, she just makes bops. Like every song, not only does she... Freestyle, very good. Y'all know how I feel about um, non-men who rap. They're my favorite. <laughs> um, yeah, like her, some of her freestyles I think are amazing. She's out of Houston, so I think she has like that same kind of like delivery and swag as like Megan Thee Stallion. But Ken the Man is chocolate, you know? She's, she's a dark-skinned um, black girl, and I think... That's why she's been slower to pop. But I really feel like she's going to pop and she's going to pop big because she just makes songs that make you want to throw that ass in a hexagon. Um, from the production, it's not like overproduced, you know, it sounds real good in the car. 
Um, and I have said this on here before, but it's really hard for me to meditate in silence. So a lot of what I used to listen to while I was, you know, trying to like get into a meditative space was, um, takeoffs, takeoff, um, from Migos, RIP, uh, a lot of his, um, his solo music. Ken the Man has like that same kind of hard hitting beat. And um, I think her flow is beautiful. It's like butter on the beat. So, <laughs> my favorite Ken the Man song is Try Me. And it's off of uh, 4 to 304, the first mixtape that I ever heard that held me together early pandemic. Um, it's just the way she comes in on the beat. Big bands for a walk through, front spot when I park too. And I don't like being hugged on, so find another bitch to talk to. Real bitches show love to me. Hating hoes wanna hug too. They bitch probably wanna fuck too. I make money, you save money. Your rent money, my play money. This my shit, that's bay money. Ain't nothing you hoes can say to me. The ticket going up. <laughs> uh, I could keep going. I love Kinder Man, so. Kinda Man makes trap music for gay bitches. I said it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, those are the artists that I have been having in heavy rotation lately. Who have been holding me together. Whose music has willed me out of bed and into work every day. Um, Mars, Orion Sun, Carla Parata, Amalu, and Kinda Man. <laughs> If y'all like any of them, let me know. Give me the feedback. Tell me, like, ooh, I love this one. Or have you heard of this person? If y'all trying to put a queer artist on my playlist, please. Those are my faves to listen to. Let me give somebody some streams. If y'all got a favorite queer artist, let me run it up. I really wish I could just be a radio DJ, y'all. <laughs> I wish. How do you even do that? My friend just sent me a, uh, another Letitia Wright TikTok. <laughs> what funny timing. <laughs> All right, y'all. I'm moving on along to the topic segment. And the topic segment is the queer potpourri segment. It's where I talk about all things that don't really fit in to the other segments on the podcast. And, um... I don't really have a topic this episode. So if y'all would like to submit a topic, you can hit me up at Queer Walk Pod in the DMs about all the things or submit it to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Um, I feel like the only thing on my heart <laughs> that I wanted to say this episode is um, L word still sucks. The new L word is still up to the same old shit as the old L word. And, um, it still sucks. And I'm really sad that the only kind of, like, um, lesbian representation we had in media was the original L word for so long. Um, and that this new one is still up to its same old things. Um, yeah. Annoyed. Really annoyed by that. That's why we really gotta make sure A League of Their Own gets a second season. Because... <laughs> It's the best sapphic 
representation we have in fiction, fictional media. Um, I remember the days of the YouTube web series, you know, like between women and New York girls TV and, um, Studville and all those, (laughs) those were, though, even those were better. I still think are better to this day than what the L word gives us. Um, I just can't get over the sickening wealth in the L word. Like they are obviously so wealthy that that part of it feels so out of touch for me. Like in the new one, y'all are roommates, but in this nice ass LA or wherever they are in California, this nice ass house, like a house like this is, um, um, I know it's a multi-million dollar house. I know it. So I don't, I don't care that y'all are whole oh, roomies in this house because look at it. Look at the house. You got a, a museum curator who's at the top of her game, who's best friends with somebody who made a whole career in like being a hairstylist and making their own products and sold that company off for millions who's besties with a talk show host. It's just like so much money that it gets on my nerves. Like I can't shake the wealth of the show to even start to like relate to the characters. So they all feel very annoying to me. (laughs) Cause I'm like, "Ah, this is so unrealistic. So unrealistic. I mean, I mean, maybe it is realistic to some people. I know that there are very, very wealthy queer folks, but for the majority of people who watch the show, I'm like, they not this this is not even middle class this is wealth they have they are wealthy and kind of related to Marsha Warfield and me thinking about what aging queer representation looks like um 20 years later we still got the same characters up to their same shit you know <laughs> you know it's like y'all are in your 50s now and y'all still out here? I I didn't. Ugh, I do. I want to spoil. I feel like you. We we need another word than spoiler for terrible content. You know, <laughs> for content that's not good. Nah, we broke. We are broke. You know. I'm <laughs> like, what the hell? Um, but in that scene where Kaylani is Kaylani's character is hooking up with Shane. From the freaking L word. I think there's something to be said about age gaps. (laughs) On top of a lot of other things. You know. I just kept thinking about the age gap. Between the actual actresses in that scene. And also in their characters. Like Kehlani's character. In this new version of the L word. Is the same age as Shane's character. In the first run. So there's at least a 20 year age gap between these characters. Ill, like I don't know. I just I have a I know that I am because of my own life experiences particularly sensitive to large age gaps in relationships. And so when you have like a 27 year old and a 47 year old, almost 50 year old, it just the power and balance just feels ugh, ill. It just it just eeks eeks and creeps me out and I think so much of queer media especially by white people present us these age gaps uncritically 
And I got an issue with that. I don't like it. Ew. Um, other things I don't like. <laughs> oh, while while we on Kaylani, I think it's just uh, I wonder what it's like to be the um the like representation of desirability for so many groups. Yeah, part part of I don't know. Part of me feels like is there some kind of like identity trouble that happens of like where you lose sense of like okay um how do I make sense of myself <laughs> in these spaces when everybody is like ah Kaylani I would leave my wife for you I would shank my husband for you <laughs> it's just really interesting like I I know queer women straight women Everybody who would like for Kaylani without question, right? <laughs> and so I just wonder about that. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a wondering I have, you know, desirability and the likes. I think about this kind of stuff a lot. Um, I feel like this thing the L word does is they use biracial um, black people as stand-ins for black people. <laughs> so, um, uh, like, unambiguously, like, like racialized as black folks. And I think they also did that with Kehlani's character in this season. Um, there are no monoracial black characters on the L word still. After getting so much criticism... <laughs> Before about how, you know, black people just kind of came in as one-offs or side characters to move the sexual plot along in the first one. They're doing the same thing in this one. Everybody always chooses the fucking white girl. And I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much in case y'all love it um, and want to watch it. But like, we bring in a, a black a racialized black, a dark skin, black lesbian character for Bet to play with, <laughs> you know? And then we move her out the way because, of course, you have to choose the white woman. And it, it, I'm fed up. <laughs> if I knew how to, like, uh, transition or pivot into being some kind of, like, writer, I would love to write, like, um... Yeah, like these lesbian sitcoms or dramedies or whatever that represent us in more robust ways. Um, yeah. There are black girls who are queer that have two black parents. <laughs> there, are, there are black girls who are queer who are dark-skinned. There are black girls who are queer who have um, kinky, coily hair. You know, you know, it's just like not not every every queer black girl is a multiracial or biracial black girl. Like, damn, <laughs> us monoracials happen to be queer too, and yeah. So the L, the L word loves that, and I don't like it. And a, the fight, my final straw with me feeling like the L word still sucks 
is they're doing it again to a trans mask character. I feel like I'm in the perfect age bracket, like where I was like young enough when the first L word came out for it to be kind of like formative for me, even though at the time I still felt like, oh, this is some white girl shit. <laughs> um, and for for the new version to be really formative for me, like, oh, wow, like, yo, queer representation. <laughs> we got to get past representation. We we need to we need to get to robustness, okay? Um that back in the day in the first run, they had a trans mass character, a trans man, Max, who they did so fucking dirty. Um I feel like they just like put him in. Um they made him like this like violent, erratic whatever whenever he started um transitioning. They didn't know what to do with his character, so they just, like, put, like, all the other characters, transphobia and all their shit. Um, Because they also have a problem with representing masculine um, queer women in the L word, right? The most masculine person we get is Shane, who is the the forever fuckboy, right? So (laughs) they just have a problem with masculinity in general. But the way they did Max in the first L word... I see them creeping to do uh, with the new trans mask character. And you know what's so messed up is that they make him such a side story that I don't even remember his name. Wow, what a beige cast. Micah. Um, Micah. I feel like they're trying to do the same thing with Micah. Um, They don't know how to make sense of trans masculinity when it comes to sexuality so I feel like they just threw all this random stuff in there last season about who he was dating and now um he suddenly has like feelings about wanting to carry like a pregnancy and I'm like what this isn't consistent with Micah from last season like how is this and and they've just totally made him a side character he's barely in the show um it's just not good, y'all. I want better for us than the L word. <laughs> That's it. I feel like more subtly with uh, the new one, they're trying to make it seem as if he's less communicative, less emotionally attuned because he's a trans man. Um, I just want I just want them to do better. I just really want them to do better. Um. I think why I feel like this is so important is because the L word is one of Showtime's biggest shows of all time. I looked it up. <laughs> so they got the budget to be great. Um, and they just aren't. It's just flat and beige and rich as fuck and totally out of touch. And I just want it to be, I just want it to be great. I will never forgive them for that scene with Shane and Finley dancing to Genuine's Pony. And this is the thing. (laughs) I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done on the L word. Because um, I remember when me and my friend Ari went to this event here in um, Philly uh, for Philly Gay Girls. And it was all white. There were maybe three other women of color there outside of me and Ari and 
the whole playlist of the event was black music, right? And so it it hurts. It really, really hurts when we are the culture, when we are the backdrop, when we are the things that make these places pop and function and um, cute, but y'all don't give a shit if we're there or not, you know? So I I really felt that watching that scene. I was like, Maybe not a Shane, because Shane done, done smashed and bashed every type of girl from here to Timbuktu. Um, but these do not feel like white lesbians who would be like, oh, we have to make this space accessible and inclusive to black gay girls. But y'all are in there grinding and dancing around to genuine. You know, it's just... it. Uh, when black people are the battery that make these uh, spaces go... But y'all don't make sure that they are spaces where we feel comfortable. I take issue with that. And I think L Word is just like a perfect example of that. And it's annoying and it's late and it's getting on my nerves. And I really want better for us. All right. (laughs) All right, y'all. Last but not least is the Curved Chronicles segment. In the Curved Chronicles segment of Queer Walk is where I talk about my dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins. You can send them to me in the DMs at Queer Walk Pod or at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com. Tell me about your dating life. Tell me about it. I want to hear about it. <laughs> Thanks to everybody who also shared their like um, intense, sapphic friendship breakup stories with me. You made me feel like I wasn't alone. Thank you to everyone who texted me after hearing mine and was like, that sounds weird. Um, and then I got to like chat more off mic, um, about like what happened in that situation. Um, yeah. So I just, I just thank y'all for holding me through my last curve chronicle. (laughs) If y'all want to listen to that, it's on the last episode of the podcast. Um, oh, and I think I should start saying this more, but I always do timestamps for the segments. So, yeah, if you want to, like, get to a certain part of the episode or think something might be, you know, hard to listen to or whatever, I always do timestamps. I put timestamps in the descriptions of the episodes. So, um, Curve Chronicles, y'all. So, um, one of my, like, closest friends... I got to see over the holiday break um, and she was here from Berlin and (laughs) we just kind of like were "Ah!" just acting like little kids running through the city, (laughs) having a lot of fun. But something she told me that I've been thinking a lot about is like um, the apps are not good ways to connect. Obviously, we all know that. But she has started telling her friends to introduce her to people. And so she's like, you know. I I trust my friends would not introduce me to kind of like red flaggy shitty people. <laughs> so um that already kind of makes the the connection a little bit more relatable than the apps where you are just crossing your fingers and hoping you connect with somebody decent. Um and so that feels like an approach I'm going to be using moving forward. It's like I'm going to tell my homies if you know somebody who might be interested to just introduce us, just, you know, just introduce us. And it doesn't have to come into this fully full blown romantic relationship. 
I would just like to have more uh, community, you know, like I moved to a new city twice in a, in, during the pandemic and didn't really have a lot of queer community. So if you just want to introduce me to someone that you think would be a good person for me to connect to, you know, put me on. If it does happen to be flirty, I would love that uh, because I think I have a dearth of flirty energy in my life. <laughs> so put me on. Uh, I told y'all I had other Curve Chronicles. They still feel really fresh. Um, so I'm going to save those until the new year. <laughs> um, I'm going to let them cool off a little bit. And then I'm going to hit y'all. Y'all going to be like, what? Yes. Stuff, y'all, things happen to me that feel so bizarre. But what I will say is, you know, I'm glad I have these flirtation situations. Um, at least, you know, <laughs> they make, if for nothing else, good content for this hair program. So <laughs> shout out to everybody who gave me the weirdness because you have become a segment <laughs> and I thank you for the content. Um, I would like to have less content, but you know what, that's how I'm reframing it. You know how I've heard people say, this is main character energy and this is this is to further the plot, you know, all the weirdness that I get around um intimacy, dating, flirting is for the podcast. I do this for y'all. <laughs> all right, y'all. That's this silly episode of Queer Walk. Um I hope y'all really like it. If you do like it, go ahead and hit the heart, the five stars, send it to a friend, send me some uh, music suggestions from queer artists, send uh, me some uh, Zaddy Panther, Vibranium Strap, Letitia Wright memes, <laughs> would love it, um, yeah, and hit me up on all the things at Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D, oh, you can find me, my personal stuff, at Better Than Money, um, that's B-E-T-T-A Van Cha-Ching and yeah I'm out y'all this episode of Queer Walk the Podcast was made possible thanks to the monetary contribution of Stephanie who became a new patron This episode was also made possible by the listeners of Kigali Rwanda Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and Olive Branch, Mississippi.